So we're rolling. Cool. We are live. This is You're Doing It Wrong with Mark Henderson Leary. And my name is Mark. And by now you must know that I have a passion that you should feel in control of your life. And so what I do is I help you get control of your business. And part of how I do that is by letting you listen in on these conversations between me and my friends most of the time. I got another great friend with me today talking about subjects that you already know a little bit about. But today we're going to dig a little deeper. And so let's get in there and unlock some of the secrets and talk with my good friend, Ali Nasser. How are you, my friend? I'm doing great, Mark. Pleasure to be on so the Ali, show. So it's awesome. So you are a passionate entrepreneur. You are a visionary in, in, in an extreme sense. You are a detail guy. You are such a, a fine example of, of a great <laughs> entrepreneur, truly, who's passionate about success, passionate about overcoming their own challenge getting out of your own way right is that is that something sure, that, you, yeah. know, you, you have a big vision and you've seen yourself as an obstacle uh, to that and you've made huge huge efforts to that to so much to the point that you were a keynote speaker at the eos conference and it's a phenomenal job of explaining the journey of the visionary and the integrator and how that came about but just the business you're in just to kind of give us a little I want to talk about the journey, but I also want to give you a chance to talk about or to frame the business and, and the, the mindset you have as a business leader. Sure. Well, thanks for that kind introduction. I, I love it. Sounds awesome. Uh, so, uh, what we I basically have a firm. Uh, it's called Altra Vista, and we we work with gosh tons of visionaries. And our target client is a visionary that built their company up and has now built it to a stage where they've been very successful they have an established business and they're trying to figure out how do I bring all the pieces together my life plan my balance sheet plan the tax financial legal like I've outgrown the traditional ways of looking at this how do I bring it all together and we serve as a family CFO for successful business owners so for business owner you kind of think about what the integrator does for their business we are like a wealth integrator for all aspects of their um uh, balance sheet and life planning, kind of how the tax, legal, financial, everything come together. So we refer to that as a business owner's family CFO. And that's what we do for, for successful owners. So for almost 17, 18 years now, I have spent every week with a visionary of some kind, helping them address the biggest decisions they face from a balance sheet and life perspective. And so there's an so incredible parallel. I want to I want to connect two things, and that is the growth of the the visionary leader, the, from the the visionary entrepreneur who is crazy enough to start something, yep. and 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 how that gets character caricaturized to be a, a, an individual who wins and loses money and is is never potentially really successful. Uh, and how that person can be in their own way. They take risks and they and they get some gains and they lose the gains and they never really reach a sense of success. Now, you are on the other side of this uh, in a very tangible way, which is, okay, the business makes money, but are you creating wealth and are you getting getting the rewards yeah. from your entrepreneurship? And those those par- those journeys are very parallel. Yeah, and you you nailed it there. And an example that I give is that, you know, a business owner, if you have, let's just say, for example, if you met a person at $50 million and it was invested in Apple stock, what would you tell them? Their entire net worth, $50 million invested in Apple stock, what would you tell them? Well, it depends. It depends on where they are in life. Like sell it and go live your dream life or that's <laughs> well, a great... It's a- yeah, a lot of people say sell it, diversify, that's crazy. Yeah. How could you have $50 million in one stock? 
But if I introduce you to somebody that has $50 million invested in their own company that they built, and that's their entire net worth, you're probably not going to tell them they should sell. You're probably not going to tell them they should diversify, and you certainly wouldn't tell them they're crazy. But yeah, that, yeah, you said that own, before. Yeah. I, I heard you say that before, and it and it and it is. Yeah, you're right. That the framing of that is. Yeah. Uh, it's like when it's when it's something you seem to hold closely, it seems less risky. Right, and that's the control factor. And I think to what you mentioned, like some business owners hit that way. They do so well in their business, but they don't have a way to capture that wealth with their personal planning. And how do I take what's been built? Uh, kind of in the business world and translate it to my personal balance sheet and how does that work? And I think that so many entrepreneurs I see, they do really become really successful. They never capture or monetize and they sometimes ride that wave down. And yeah. and in other cases, you've got others that really know how to take that next level and how to capture that success. And I think when you do that, it, it all becomes worth it because you didn't just build it on the yeah. business side, you built it on the personal too. So I realize now there are two major subjects I want to dig into and I think we're going to have to choose because I think they're two separate episodes, sure. truly. And one is that journey. I realize how important that journey is that you described to really understanding how not to waste the wealth creation opportunity your business has and how many entrepreneurs just totally squander that and make bad, bad financial mm. decisions based on the risk and all that. I know you're very passionate about that, but that's what you provide your clients, understanding how to manage the risk and the overhead, and it's very powerful. And so I want an opportunity to get that in front of the listeners. But I also, the reason we started this conversation was the, the, the challenge I want to help people with mm. is visionaries who are stuck letting go yeah. of their business with leadership, particularly the integrator, that number two in charge, somebody who gets focused on the internal operations of the business mm-hmm. and what do people need to do? And so I'm going to let you decide what, is, what speaks to you right now. Where do you want to go take well, the conversation? I think a hundred percent the latter, um, okay. primarily because that's, that's the direction that, that you want to take. And that's really, I think what the audience needs. And I think there's a unique, unique perspective given the talk that I did at EOS around that. Um, yeah. When you mentioned entrepreneurs rising and not capturing that capital, it took me obviously to an yeah. instant place of, hey, there's a, but we'll save that for another another yeah. episode. Maybe we need, a future we need time. to do that because I, I, I'm yeah. glad you brought it back because it's powerful. It's, it's really good stuff. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Let's do it. I'm excited. So tell me about your journey because you, t- you told an incredibly vulnerable path or story. <laughs> Uh, from the stage of of your humbling, of feeling like a badass leader with a t- full of vision, and en- encountering obstacles that were potentially life threatening to the business, mm-hmm. and having to, to 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 do that. So walk us through a little of, of those first sure. kind of realizations. Yeah. Um, so it, it, from 2012 to 2016, we were the fastest growing. Um, wealth advisory firm in Houston. And we were just, I mean, we, we grew substantially. I mean, we went from like a $20 million firm to a $200 plus million firm in, in a four, I think four, four year period or so. And we had what we felt, we had figured out the secret sauce to what we did. And business was growing and business was booming. And I had every vision of what the next five years would look like. And this, we're going to do this, we're going to do this, we're going to do this. And I was talking with one of my most accomplished, experienced, and wise clients who had a personal exit, um, a half a billion dollar exit uh, with his company that he built from scratch. And just one of those people um, that 
every time he spoke, it was like somehow he just knew what the future, what was gonna ha- what was gonna happen in the future. And he's one of those clients I was always excited to see. And I was talking about what was going on, and um, and Mike asked me, he's like, "Well, Ali, what are your plans for the future, and where are you taking this company, and what's next?" And I started to tell him about everything that was going to happen in the future. And he said, what does your team think about all of this? And I started to tell him about the struggles that we had uh, translating the vision, how some team members got it, other team members didn't, but I was having a really hard time translating the vision. We had a lot of stop-starts on projects and basically shared with him a glimpse of our challenges. And he knew my team because he'd, he'd worked with us as a client. And he said to me, Ali, I have a prediction. In the next three years, you're going to lose all your employees. Now, this is... I a, can't, what is that like? You're, <laughs> did you think he was full of it? Did you think he was totally well, wrong? Uh, I, I was stumped. When I heard this, again, someone I really respect, a mentor, uh, almost like an uncle kind of figure to me in a way, uh, he, he scared me when he said that because all I could think of is was every encounter we ever had and where he would have assimilated this information mm. to come up with this. Because I've so known... He, he's, he's in possession of the information. Like, he's in... Like, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. You got yeah. it. You know, there's certain people, and it's like asking him, oh, well, tell me exactly why you feel that way. And I could discuss that, too, if, 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 if you'd like. But I knew, knowing visionaries, you don't... They don't always have an exact pathway as to how they came to this conclusion. But they've seen mm-hmm. enough information that intuitively, with their experience, they know where you're going. And I knew in that yeah. moment, the answer... even if if he answered the question as to why, yeah, it wouldn't be. It wouldn't matter. I don't, it doesn't. Almost doesn't matter why. That's what's. That's what's probably going to happen. Uh, and then the interesting thing is that over the next four years, that's exactly what happened. We had a hundred percent turnover. Now this was a. It was. It was. It was the toughest four-year period of business ever for me. Um, and and I'm gonna slow that down because when, when you talk about p- difficult periods in people's lives, we, uh, just a number. Four years. Mm-hmm. Four years. Like that's a long journey through the desert. Yeah. Yeah. It was a long journey. And I tell you, Mark, I have, uh, I got a gift at the end of 2017 of a journal, little, little really nice leather journal. And I'd never journaled in my life. I've never, never been a journaler. Um, but I got this really nice journal. I was like, you know what? I, I know that one of the big regrets of men on their deathbed is not spending enough time in self-reflection. And I'm going to start journaling. And it happened to be 2017 when I got this. And I have, I don't know, probably 100 entries over the past four years. And when I was preparing for that talk for the EOS conference on the journey, I could actually go back and revisit. the. And it is unreal how hard that period was. And I love that I have this written, all my thoughts, where I was how I was feeling, what I was doing. I have a, a record of all this because it really was the shift from to building leadership, the shift from going from doing and being that owner founder that knew how to do everything, did everything, did it right themselves, you know, carried the wins or the losses on their back to building a team where you go from doing to leading and doing the hardest thing on earth, which is to, to trust other leaders and not get involved and let go. Uh, doing that trust process, the what goes into that is just so unbelievably challenging because our natural DNA as owner founders is we're gonna we're gonna get involved, we're gonna do it ourselves, we're gonna we're gonna push lead always, and oftentimes 
that leads to a lot of mistakes. And what Mike saw was I had a gap in leadership with not having enough leaders on the team. I had a gap in team mindsets where they weren't understanding the vision and there was some wrong people on the bus that shouldn't have been on there. Um, that I was stop starting on projects, which is a which is a telltale sign of there's a lack of a clear plan when there's constantly stop start, stop start. There's a lack of clarity of vision. Um, and then he said to me, Ali, you know, every once in a while when a business owner becomes successful, they get their head in the clouds. And they get so caught up in the future vision of their company that they lose sight of the ground and where reality is. And he said the one line that no one likes to hear, don't take this the wrong way, but I think you might be in that spot right now. And when Mike had this prediction mm-hmm. of the future, he kind of recognized, and it's coming from someone who I know has built something far greater yeah. than I've ever built. You just get humbled and you go, you know what, I'm going to shut up and tell me what it is that that you see as the as the issue and make make me aware of my blind spot because I'm like fastest growing firm in Houston you know uh, yeah. things are amazing future vision everything's happening and then you get one of your best people tell you you need to come back to earth and it's a, it was a humbling experience and the five years that followed were absolutely the biggest growth challenge um, years ever but Today, now looking back at what's been built the last five years, it, it, it's worth it because you have a different business. You have a completely different business. You have a completely different leader. I'm a different visionary, and my mindset and approach towards so much has changed so drastically. So, I, I, I think you're such a great example for this because I don't want this to sound like bad, but you're kind of an extreme example of um, detail orientation. Uh, you, you have a to look at you, to know you, is to understand that precision matters to you, and that every little sense of, of brand inconsistency and punctuation is you sense it, and it drives you nuts. And, and so, and I, I, I didn't I, know I, I come I, across I, that OCD, but well, you know, it's it's a good observation. Maybe it's me. It, maybe it's me because that's me for sure too, um, in different ways. And, and I think you just may wear it better. And so, I, I maybe it's common DNA because you, you. I think you always look sharper than I do. Maybe that's why I notice. But that's very so kind that makes of it you. that makes it that makes it hard, right? So if you're like if you're going to delegate, you're used to producing content and quality that matches not just a level of uh, precision but it's your definition of precision yes which keeps you locked in to the belief that you couldn't possibly give up control in some way yes and you nailed it with that comment because that's exactly what had to change that was a that was a problem i had and still continue to have in some ways is that my level of precision my level of quality my style was what I was constantly looking to deliver consistently and the experience that I had created for our business owner client community for so many years all of a sudden couldn't be scaled any further being my way and I had to break that shell to say Ali you've got to stop making it your way and you've got to start making it your desired outcome And there's a delicate difference between saying, I want you to do this the way I did it versus I want you to do this that creates the same outcome that I created for these clients. And there's a huge difference because what what one of my leadership team members came to me when he first got hired and he said to me, Ali, I've I've really got to study 
what it is that you do so I can replicate this and do the same thing for our clients because I don't want to lose the way that you did it. And I said, hey, I appreciate that. With all due respect, you're never going to do it the same way as me. And his right. face was stumped when he said it to me. He's like, whoa, what do you mean? I was like, I don't want you to do it the exact same way I did it because you're not me. What I want you to do is to create the same outcome. So being visionary, my old visionary mindset would say, I want you to do this and do it this way. Do this and do it right. this way. Right. The new visionary mindset is, I want the client to feel like this. I want this outcome to be accomplished. I want this result to be accomplished. How you do it has to be your unique path, right? But as long as you're generating the outcomes, I'm not going to tell you how to cook the food. If you make a great meal and my goal is I want an amazing seared ahi tuna for dinner, I don't want to watch mm. you make it. I want to know that, that the tuna tastes good. Yeah. And if at the end of the meal it's not, I'm going to say, hey, this didn't taste right and let you fix it, not get in the kitchen and go put more salt. And I think that's what trips up a lot of visionaries. So it might sound like a, somewhat of a minor point, but I, want to, I think it's a huge point. I want to unpack it really well because I think there's a lot of gold in what you just said. First of all, that when... In my experience, and, and what you're trying to prevent is when somebody comes to you and tries to replicate you, and your recipe is so complex, if they try to do that, they the compass is you, and they are dependent in every transaction for your validation. You nailed it. And, and validation, and even, they're dependent upon your involvement. And the thing is, you can't. Right, right. yeah. 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 It's, it, it's approval and it might be actual interaction. In yes, case. and then I become the crutch. And right. in this case, I and created dependent, the crutch. Yeah, yes. it's totally dependent upon you. And they mm-hmm. cannot scale. And if you're not around, they're useless. Yes. And, and so something that really triggers here with what you're saying is the people in life, when I look back in life, and I'm going to use Mike as an example who gave the prediction in the company. Mike helped me so much with one conversation about letting me know where my issues were. And then I was left alone to figure out the solution to my problems. So he helped me very little, but he helped create the greatest outcome ever. And I think a lot of us, when we look back over life, we say the people that helped us the least actually helped us the most because Mm -hmm. they made you aware of something. They told you, hey, you know what, Mark? You've got this opportunity of this, but they said it to you not as a coworker or a partner, but some random person or mentor that made a comment, and then you took that and changed your life from it. And when you're the person giving the input and then saying, well, here's how you do it, and then here I'll help you here, and then let me cut, all of a sudden you're the crutch. And the people that are the greatest managers and leaders, in my opinion, are the people that can say, it is your job to figure out the solution. I trust your ability to get it done. If you're stuck and you truly have exhausted all resources, I may be a resource to you, but you got to figure this out on your own and not come to me with every step of the way. And I think that ends up becoming where managers get stuck. And I have no time because my team is taking all my time. Well, you're a crutch. And, yeah. and I was a crutch for years. And you can't be the crutch. So let's t- I'm guessing, I'm no. hoping, that your first <laughs> attempts at doing this that didn't go great. Uh, epic failures. Because this is this is so conceptual, and I, I think even now people listening to this going, "You're right." Oh my gosh! And the light bulbs are going off. People are getting fired up. I got to do this, <laughs> and then they're going to go try it, and it's not going to go great. And then they're going to get distracted and back into their old habits. So I want to prepare people for their, the next set of toe stubbing. What were your what was your what did your toe stubbing go like? 
Oh, there's so many toast ups. <laughs> so many. All right, give me a second here. Let me think of a good one where. Okay, so I I am a serial tweaker. I love to tweak things. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. if you get me involved in a project, if I meet with you on Monday and I look at the the prototype and you say, hey, any input that you've got on this prototype? I'll be, guys, yeah, I think, you know, this is good, this is good. We tweak this, tweak this, tweak this. Awesome. Any more? No, it looks great. It's awesome. If you come back to me on Thursday and you say, hey, Ali, here's the prototype again. Any other tweaks? I can guarantee you I'm going to come up with more tweaks. And if you call me every week and you ask me, hey, what input do you want to give? There'll be another tweak because my brain is constantly going to think of something. Okay? When I've gotten involved in team projects in the past and I've said, hey, you know what, guys? Uh, this is the success criteria for this project. I want these five things to be the case. And then they come to me somewhere through and they own it. This is not a collaborative project that we need to work on together. And they come back to me and they say, hey, Ali, I really want your input on this thing. It's entering a danger zone. Yeah. Okay. You ask for this input. then I, So sometimes if it's a project where I don't need to be involved, I'll push back and say, hey, do you really want my input here? Because uh, what, gear do you, what, what, yeah, what gear do you want me to be in here? You're just asking for validation. Are you asking for input? I need to know what gear. Because if you give me free reign on every gear, I'm going to go into first, second, third, fourth, fifth, and sixth. So keep that, keep that steady. There have been projects where I have not done that and I've jumped right in. So recently there's a story where we were working on a, a specific workshop for exit planning. Like business owners that want to maximize value of their company, potentially have a sale. What does that three to five year process look like? And we're building a workshop. So one of my uh, my LMA for planning is a is an exit advisor and twenty year season guy. He's a rock star at planning, and he owned this rock to put together this workshop. And I was collaborating with him. And when we were talking about building the content, like actually building the PowerPoints, the content pieces, the tools for the workshop and everything, and my head's going, I'm not involved in this. This isn't my rock. He's like, well, you know, do you think we have everything together in order for you to put, to get, to put together the content? And I was like, me put together the content? I'm not, I'm not going to put together. That's not my unique use. If I put together the content, this was a magic line he said, if I put together the content, I know you're going to look at this and you're going to make 20,000 tweaks. And the day before the presentation, you're going to want to, change, want to change three things in this. So all of a sudden, he's insinuating now you own the content because you always want it to be your way. And I realized, holy crap, I have created a monster. Because by me making those adjustments on other people's projects, now no matter what they do on their own, they're always going to feel it's not good enough because Ali's going to tweak something. Because I always jump in and do something, I'm now being that crutch to the project where they're like, you know what? It doesn't matter what work I put together because he's going to end up adjusting something versus allowing me to own this content and working or running with it. Does that make sense? Is that a good example? It's a good example. And I I got one more thing I want to unpack on that because when you delegate, there's two things you have to have. And that is, and this is EOS stuff for sure. Uh, You have to have the willingness and faith to let go, which is what you're describing. But you also have to have the right person in the right seat who is actually capable of doing the work you've handed them. You nailed it. So talk to me about that piece. How did you get comfort with the fact that this is the this is you got this, this will be fine even if I'm not involved? 
Well, so candidly, this project is going on right now. This was a fresh one okay. on my on my mind. So the, the the workshop is actually this fall, and this is what we're laying out content for. Yeah. Now, as far as in this this person, are they the right person, the right seat for their role? Absolutely, fantastic at the role. Have they ever built a content presentation like this? No. Do they know mm-hmm. that they don't have to build it, and they can have team resources? that they can use internal or external to get this right and to build it right? I believe so. <laughs> kind of like we talk about yeah. a coach is like, Dan, you have to, I have the courage to let go, but do I have the confidence that they're going to bring in the right resources to build it? Or are they going to try to somehow create a new skill set of their own to build it themselves? I don't know, but I'm pretty confident that that person is going to do that and time will tell. And the thing is, I've, I've got to let go enough to say, hey, you know what? That person's going to have to figure it out because if I'm yeah. in there jumping in, then all of a sudden I'm the crutch again. So I've given you the key pieces you need. I am trusting you to take this to the finish line. And then I need to make some commitment in there to go, either I'm not going to tweak anything or you give me one opportunity, one meeting where we talk about this. If, if, there's, if there's input that you really need and then I'll... I'll work with you on it. So take me back to the earliest time you can that comes to mind quickly, quickly-ish, where you had to really make the decision, am I handing this off to somebody who can handle it or not? And how did you figure that out? Hmm. An early position where I had to delegate something and had to have the courage to delegate? delegate? Is that well, what you're asking? We, the razor's edge question is, is it is it should I do it or sh- or can they do it or should I just take it back? That, I mean that's that's every uh, every visionary has that situation. Like you know you should do it. Ah, never mind, I'll do it. And and it's that faith of like I'm going to keep it in your hands and you're going to handle it. And part of the question that has to be answered is can they handle it? Right. And, and, and I, don't, of- I don't think I don't think visionaries are skilled at answering that question. <laughs> they're they're skilled at taking it back as soon as they get scared. Yeah, absolutely. And and usually I feel like it's a doubt in the person, um, and or it's an impatience thing, or it's perfectionism. Actually, a combination of all. We wanted it perfectly. Or ourselves. they're terrible at hiring. I, I think see people, people they, they bring in somebody who's underqualified under under whatever somebody they trusted to, to be in the role, and they're not good at judging the person. And they're like, well, no. You know, why didn't you handle that 25, 25 step process well? It's like, well, they've only ever handled three step processes before. You you didn't delegate, you yeah. abdicated, and then of course it went to like a disaster. And I think that visionaries have to develop a sensitivity, or certainly the integrator has to have the real skill set to really assess: can these people do the job? And if not, fire them. Yeah. And if they can. Fully, fully empower them. And so I'm taking that whole conversation back to you as a visionary when you're having to answer the question of like, I know I need to let go, mm-hmm. and, and and like, but is this the right person to do it? And how do you decide whether this is the right person or or maybe confess it's not the right person and take it back or move it to somebody else? Okay. So I think I'm a little more clear on that now. I, yeah. So I evaluate right person, right seat at a different time mentally than it is with the specific activity. But any time I am nervous to let go of something, it's probably because there's a trust issue with that individual. And if I'm not letting go of something, either there's a trust issue or there's a personal, I'm, I'm having a hard time, uh, there's something I need to be involved in in this way. And if I have a person that's the right fit and I still want some type of involvement, 
then there there needs to be a conversation as to, hey, and, and the way I do it with the visionaries I work with is, hey, I'm, I'm seeing you still get involved in this. What is giving you anxiety? And when you ask a visionary, in fact, when you ask anyone, but I can speak to visionaries because you deal with them all the time. When you ask a visionary, what is giving you anxiety on this project? Why are you not letting go? Usually their brain instantly comes up with, these are the three, four things that are giving me anxiety. I feel like, if they're honest, I feel like if I give this to you, I'll never get to see it again and I won't get to put my fingerprints on it or I feel like this could go wrong or I really want to make sure this person and this person and this project are handled in a special way and you kind of get that download to let go of that anxiety and if the person that owns the project they should be asking the visionary on every project hey anything making any anything giving you anxiety on this project are you able to let go is there any place where I need to touch base with you in order for you to feel like we're in a good spot And that alone gives the visionary, or in my case, has given me so much comfort to let go because I'm like, I know they've got it. And when they're not doing things like that and I'm nervous to let go, it may be a a right person, right seat issue and I don't have the right person on my team. And if they're procrastinating it, anytime I've had a team member that procrastinates action on a project or is like, oh, there's not enough time for that or I've been overloaded with this other initiatives, they're not built for that project. If they're procrastinating it, they're not built for that project, and that's, you've got the wrong resource that. working on it. That's that's gold. That's gold. You know, and so I I, th- I think that a lot of visionaries. I keep putting visionaries into this spot, but it's really anybody who's making excuses <laughs> for, mm-hmm. for the delegation. Yep. It's like, you know, you always make, ex- it's people make excuses for the, their folks. Like, you know, they're trying, you know, we're all kind of overloaded. We're all so busy. Everybody's behind on their rocks. And that becomes the default standard of excellence, which is not excellent at all. It is everybody underperforms and there's no yeah. sense of accountability. Yeah. And I think it ties earlier when you talked about the visionary integrator, like, I know what I want my culture to look like at the company. I have no idea how to build it. And I think a lot of visionaries go, oh, okay, I can figure out how to build it. I'll read a book on culture. Well, at what opportunity cost? You're going to go invest 200 hours to figure out how to build a great culture. And then you're going to take 200 hours away from what you could be doing that could be more accelerative. If you bring on the integrator and say, this is the culture I want, if they're the right integrator, they're going to go, yeah, I know how to do that. And they're off to the races building that culture. And if the integrator is going, yeah, I don't know how to build that culture. And, and then three months later, the culture hasn't changed. I haven't got, you probably have someone doesn't have a skill in building culture. And okay. yeah, let's, and, and, let's, let's and, dig into this. Yes. You know, that, this. that's where you've, you've got to, the people that know what they're doing in a role are not going to procrastinate taking action or movement. It's going to be part of their DNA. Okay, and so this is super gold. That procrastinate, they go to work on what matters most. Yes. They get it. They understand it. They're not looking like deer in the headlights. Mm-hmm. That's your integrator. Yeah. And it's dysfunctional so, at every role, whether so, it's an integrator or anybody in that in that. In agreed, the team. agreed. Mm-hmm. But, it's, but I, what, I, what I realize is going through the conversation, there's kind of two levels of visionaries skill set to delegate and and it's all of that delegation you have to do on your way to getting to the point where you've earned the right to hire the integrator mm-hmm. and that's sort of like your real master level level up once you've done that you're in an, another level yes. and your leadership transforms at that stage but you, most people can't do that on day one some some can but but most can't do that on day one and they've got to kind of piecemeal their way to manage a team half-assed and they got to do it better than not otherwise the business never gets to, mm-hmm. to earn the right to, to hire the integrator exactly 
it's but part, it's of, part of paying your dues. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And and you what you learn is that you suck at it, <laughs> and, that, and that you're and you really need that integrator. And so you get it gets t- time to dive off the edge of the diving board into the deep end of the pool and get that integrator. And there's a lot of fears there. Money is a part of it, but I think money is mostly a, a masking fear of the of things not executing. Uh, and one of the, I have a friend who specifically says that. He's afraid to hire the integrator because he's afraid that integrator is going to come in and fire the people he loves because they've been underperforming rather uh, than yeah, – and so let's, just, let's react to that because I, there's a yeah. lot behind that. Yeah, that is, that is a, a often <laughs> – so it comes back then that there was the title of the speech is who do you want to be for the, for the U.S. conference? And that yeah, question yeah. resonates so deeply when you say, I feel like this person is going to come in and fire the people – that aren't performing. Did you listen to that question or comment? <laughs> They're going to fire yeah. the people that are not performing. Hmm. Yeah. Well, it, what is your ultimate goal? Is it to maintain relationships with underperforming employees because you feel that you're indebted to them or you feel that somehow them being in an underperforming position, you getting less than adequate results for the company is somehow a good thing for the both of you? If you think that's the, if you're in that mindset, that's, that, that, that's somewhat concerning. I think anyone that thinks about that, might it might strike them well, although I can see how you get there. Or is your goal, I want the best outcome for the business? Because if, you're, if you, you have to be anchored to your biggest vision and your best outcome. And if your best outcome is, I really want to grow this company and I'm anchored to this vision of what we will be as an organization. If that's the primary thing, then all of a sudden, there's an easy solution. It may be painful, but it's a clear solution. Easy is not the word. A clear solution for that underperforming team member. It might be, hey, thank you for your 10 years of service. I want to make sure you find the right home. I'm going to help you find the right opportunity. I will be a resource to you. will be a reference. But I want you to wake up every morning knowing you're performing. And I want to wake up every morning knowing I've got a performing team. And maybe it might just take an integrator to come in in order to figure out if that person is someone that could be uh, adjustments could be made to where they are a performing employee or adjustments can be made to bring them out of the organization. And part of the visionaries, and I, I, I say this as an empathetic visionary myself, I'm really high on empathy. I care about people. That empathy and that care, if you talk to a culture index consultant, they will say, Ali, that will be the death of you because you care so much about your employees and your people. You'll go take out personal money from your bank account to loan them or help them and you will always hear their excuses because you feel emotionally where they are. And that is why you're a terrible manager. You can be a great leader, but you need a manager that's not going to fall for the, the, the BS excuses as to why we weren't delivering the results we needed to, and you need that enforcement. And I think of two books that come to mind on this particular topic that are just golden, golden books for this exact example you gave about integrator coming in and firing some of the yeah. non The first one is, is by Henry Cloud. It's called Necessary Endings. And it is an oh, unbelievable wow. book. It necessary. I remember the tagline. That's how good the book was. Necessary endings. The people, relationships, and businesses that need to end in order for you to move forward. Now, he's not saying cut off everything in your life and end it. He's saying you need to prune your life. Just like you prune a tree. If you don't cut off the dead leaves, they're going to create problems for the tree, right? So prune your life. And he's got a pathway in there that 
addresses, if you've got a person you're unsure, are they the right fit, are they not, can they perform? Here's the pathway to know, A, can they perform and be great? Here's what needs to happen. And if they can't, here's the exit strategy. And he makes it really clear, and I love that book. And the second book is Predictable Success, which talks about the business cycle and how people, and as you have changes in an integrator role, you have changes that come in what happens within the company before and after those changes and how some people will naturally flush out of the organization and they will no longer be a part of it and other people will, hey, hey, all of a sudden I've got a new strategy and structure. I'm going to lock and load on that and I'm going to be your best performer in the future. And it's a natural yeah. part of business to have to make those tough decisions. But I just, as a visionary personally, I lost about, I shouldn't say lost, I had about 50% turnover on my team before I hired the integrator, and I had 50% turnover on my team after I hired the integrator. And today, in 2021, I've got 10 10 team members, and they're an entirely different team than the 10 team members I had in 2016. 100% difference, and the business is multiples better than it was five years ago, because of the strength of leadership and quality of integration and team that I have today versus five years ago. So that actually hits it's a, a, maybe a third wire on this because I wanted to connect the two concepts. One was the culture alignment, the integrator, the, mm-hmm. your right integrator, and I, I really want to slow this down so people listen to this. The integrator that's right for you is not Harvey Keitel in Pulp Fiction doesn't knock on the door, kill your people and leave and clean it up. The, or actually, that's not exactly what happened. But maybe you get the point. <laughs> Somebody, it doesn't come up and do the dirty work in some cold-blooded way. No. This is a cultural match. Your great integrator, your right integrator, is a, a, a core values. What matters most, I I, you know, connected with you. Now, it has the style opposite, has, has operates totally opposite, but is aligned 100% on where we're going and can follow the wishes and dreams of, the, of you and the business and will help force necessary endings yes. when they're necessary, when they're ethically aligned with you with and them. Mm-hmm. And that is a hard concept to digest when the empathy is so high. And so I guess to the point of the third wire, which is when that locks in, when you have clarity of vision, clarity of culture, clarity of purpose, and the ability to execute even when it's hard, mm-hmm. it still sometimes comes, and it's organization by organization. Sometimes it's a 10% turnover. Sometimes right. it's a 100% turnover. Right. And you've got kind of the hardest edge example of that. And I think I would attribute that to some extent to the degree of precision you bring to the culture. There's you as, as the leader of the organization, very precise outcomes. And a little bit of misalignment is a ton of friction. And so as you execute, uh, I'm the same way. I'm the same it's, way. So I've, if I, I hope, hope you're not taking offense to it because no, I have a great smiling. deal of respect for it. I, 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 Mark, I, I very, you know, to me, stating things like that is not offensive unless someone says it in a, in a kind of derogatory, degrading way. In this case, I'll laugh about it with you because I, I, I was having a call once, I think it was with, uh, I think it was with Gino Wickman and, and we were both, yeah, it was with Gino and we were both are six follow through on our Colby. Oh, really? Okay. And, well, and we're both, we're both six follow through and we're both high quick start. And he hears my six for, he goes, so you've got a healthy level of OCD in you as well. And in that moment, every 
historical. <laughs> it's like it all flat this flash of a thousand memories of yes, you are completely OCD about how things need to look and be if you're involved in a project. And the magic for me was if you're involved. If I'm not, and people just tell me, hey, XYZ was happy. We had this great event. Everything was awesome. I'm just over the moon happy. I won't get in the weeds. And it was kind of a, an eye-opening moment to know that, yeah, you're going you're gonna to drive OCD if you get too involved. Yeah. So how do you get out as quickly as possible? Set the clear vision and then step away and let the team. And for me, it was getting out of team meetings. I only attend yeah. one team meeting per week now, and I used to be in like four or five. It's one. And that gets me out of all the... The, the stuff to be as OCD yeah. as you describe. Well, I, I, I love you dug into that because it gave me some clarity. Here's Because my advice to people listening to this, if you self-identify as OCD, detail-oriented, locking into your vision and a great uh, integrator is likely to bring with it necessary endings, a lot of them, as yes. you figure it out. If you're not that concerned, if you're an emotionally laid-back individual you're probably not going to have that many changes. You're going to need to focus on execution, but you're not going to be as worried about how it gets done. You're going to be more okay. concerned that it gets done. Okay. So you, you just nailed a really important point that, that, that uh, I think every, every listener needs to know is that when you have same page meetings with your integrator, you, you must align philosophically on how people are going to be, um, how the culture and the employees hiring firing that not how on like how are we hiring people and how we, but the way the spirit in which things are are being done so philosophically we have we have one team member right now who is a great person we don't have an appropriate seat where she's going to shine and thrive in her role but an amazing person we love her one of my favorite humans out there philosophically my integrator are completely aligned no matter what happens we're going to take care of this person we don't know exactly what it's going to look like. We don't know if it means we keep them extra, an extra few months. We don't know if we help them get a new job. They find a job. We support whatever is necessary. But we're philosophically aligned. We care about this person. They've put their heart and soul yeah. into this business. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to find an outcome where they are happy and we are happy. That kind of alignment you have to be able to have with your integrator. Yes. And yes. if you're aligned with your integrator on the same page that this is philosophically what we're doing with this person, they're going to have their own plan on how they do it. But you're aligned on the fact that we're going to take care of this person. It's going to be done right and not in a way of like, you're terminated and here's two weeks pay and you're done. It's, I love that. So I, I love that. Because when I draw on the board, the integrator and the visionary, I say, this looks like two leaders, right? It makes It's two different people. Of course you would. But what it is, is one leadership position absolutely aligned with one person's job being focused on the big, optimistic future with nothing but amazing possibility. And one back-to-back but focus on the same vision, but focused inward to the organization, stewarding the plan, handling the obstacles, and making make sure it's actually happening. And it's just like you've got two eyes in the, in the front of your head, and there's none in the back. Well, we need the <laughs> eyes in the back, so we need a whole other person to get two more eyes, and so that's why yeah. you got to have two leaders, two eyes fa- facing forward and two eyes facing back, and you get them standing together, and you got all, all areas handled. Man, you, you nailed it. And, and it makes me think of a, when I read the book Rocket Fuel, uh, I was looking for a solution. You know, Mike had told me you're going to have 100% turnover. I started to see some things unravel on the team, and I was looking for like this solution. And I read Rocket Fuel, and as I read it, I'm like, ah, oh, definitely the visionary. 
and I'm reading the integrator and I'm like, well, you know what? I, there's a lot of integrator tendencies here. Like I know how to I know how to execute things. I can get things to the finish line. I've been that integrator for my clients' tax and legal advisors, like bringing them together and facilitating meetings and getting like the whole picture put together. Like I, I can do a lot of this, and I work with visionaries every day, so I know how to consult them and be their integrator. So maybe I can do both. And then it it hit me as I'm saying this, going, maybe I could do both. If I'm an A as a visionary and a B as an integrator at best, and I cut my time between half on each, yeah. I just took an A and a B and I made them both failing grades because I'm, I'm watering down my ability. And I said, if my biggest competitor had a separate visionary and a separate integrator, one with eyes, as you said, looking forward and one with eyes on the, on the back of the, who's going to perform better? Yeah. It's probably going to be them. And I know personally from, from hiring great people and having great teams uh, in the past and currently that when you've got two people with great skill sets that complement one another, the net outcome to the business, that potential is much higher than one person trying to be two things. So that night yeah. I made a commitment. It was part of my who do I want to be. If I asked myself if you could wake up every day and be one person, the visionary or the integrator, who do you want to wake up every day and be? And for that, 10 out of 10 times, it's the visionary. I never want to be the integrator yeah. if I can't be the visionary. So that made the decision. And I never, from that day forth, I said, I'm never, ever, ever stepping in to an integrator role. I am the visionary is always going to be an integrator that's there. And that's it. I'm done with, with trying to be two things to two, to, to two people or two trying to be two I'm done trying to be two people sorry <laughs> yeah well I think to add to that to that concept I've I got a handful of uh, integrators turned visionary and Gino is an integrator turned visionary he's an integrator in his dad's business which makes sense when if you have the ability to integrate and you're being fed fuel from the visionary and you've got everything you need you don't need to do the visionary work then yes. integrate Yes. But when it transforms and now you are the visionary fuel, which is yes. a misnomer, right? The, the vision isn't only coming from the visionary. Most of the fuel for the vision comes from the visionary, but the leadership team went aligned all yes. together, create an amazingly crystallized vision because of all the, the ingredients. Yeah. But I have people who were integrators before and their visionary either retired. Uh, that's one case. Mm-hmm or just lost their passion and the the integrator gained new passion and what they found was that their ability to be the integrator just started plummeting because yeah. the, the energy and the direction of where they were going, they mm-hmm. didn't want to do it. They, they were distracted. It wasn't mm-hmm. as interesting to them. Now, they were very, very capable of it yep. until the vision took over. And you can't look forward and backward at the same time. You just yeah. can't do it. That's, that is gold, to use your terms, right there. Yeah. I could not be the integrator for my vision. If I was the integrator for somebody else's vision, I know absolutely I could do it. If if I had somebody that had a clear vision that I was bought into and I love that vision, oh, I'll make I can make it happen. It's the same way that when we deal with a visionary entrepreneur and they come in with their vision and for all their personal planning and 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 we help create that vision and then we integrate it. We can have, but you can't be the one that's the idea creator and then the enforcer and the executor because it's that eyes forward, eyes back, and you nailed it. Because there's not a way to be uh, the best example I can give you is if you take, and I know this is not a video podcast, but for those listening, if you put one thumb in front of your face and one thumb with your arm fully stretched out, 
Okay? Try focusing on it. both thumbs at the same time. Yeah, you can't do, do it. it. You can only focus on the thumb in your face or the thumb in the distance. If and I were a chameleon, it, I could do it. If I were, you know, a chameleon's got two eyes, I can yeah. do two different things. Yeah. Now, if you try to put them both in the middle or both up front or both back, you yeah. can do it. But it's that's kind of like the visionary integrator is that one is looking at the immediate short-term execution, where are things going, let's get the trains running on time, holding accountability. And the other one is focused on that bigger, more strategic vision is where are we going as an organization? And when you try to do both you will dilute your effects. And it is so empowering and liberating is the word, Mark. It is liberating when you can focus on one. And for those that haven't experienced that, liberation is one of the most incredible feelings on earth. Yeah, so I I deal with that a lot myself. And that liberation, I don't want to take away from the point, but there is a caveat to that, the, the big obstacle to that is what I call accountability leakage. And that is when you keep letting the person you're trying to give accountability to, you keep letting them believe that you're, you still got part of it. You're still doing piece of it. What you really, to get that liberation, you have to fully give the accountability. This is entirely your job. I am not coming to rescue you. And, and I'm, and, in the, in the, sometimes you can rescue from situ, situations that are explicit, but don't think that I have a hand on the oar with you all the time and that if you get tired, I'm just going to pull it. You need to know this is actually entirely your job. And like you said, I don't bring me in to give feedback on this. When you can get that full, clear guidance, that changes the game for the recipient of the accountability. And then it gives you the sense that like it's crystal clear that they own the outcome. And if something goes wrong, they're going to respond. And they're not expecting you to respond to it because you will never have that liberation if in the back of your mind you think you're going to go check that email box. You're going to get the escalation. You're going to be the backstop. The liberation is not yours to have. Very, very, very well said. Very well said. Look, man, you got two people accountable. <laughs> no one's accountable. Yeah. When you got one well, and it's clear, and and that's that's when results can happen. Well, so that's a really good point because I, I that's that's a light bulb for me because I teach that on the accountability chart. Like you can't put more than one you know, name in a box. But what what I realize now is that there's implicit names in the box. There's you give Joey the head of sales his responsibility, but everybody knows that visionary John. We'll pick up the slack if head of sales doesn't do it. Yes, that's that's not workable, and, and that's crap. And I, I had you know, I had a conversation recently where someone on my team said, you know, something about the word accountability with me to some sales items, and I was like, whoa, 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 hold on a second. I'm here to support. I'm here to back up. I'm here to provide, you know, input and support where I can. But accountability to the outcome of sales needs to be with the LMA for business development. I can be an accelerator. I can do certain things to collaborate and be involved. But the word accountability to the net result of those sales, it falls on that person on the accountability chart. I'm happy to provide it. But I don't want to end up being that in a situation where... All of a sudden, well, Ali can fix the problem. So if he does, and then if it doesn't get done, well, Ali didn't do his thing. Uh-uh. It needs to be built where we're generating the results by that role. If I can be an accelerator to some way, have moved past goals, great. But it needs to be accomplished by that particular role. And and, and you nailed it there. That That's a recent story. 
That's awesome. Awesome, man. So uh, I promised we would kind of uh, get you out of here on time. We've covered a ton of stuff. This is so, this is pure gold. I've, this has been fun. The time has flown by. Um, is there anything we missed you want to make sure we get into this conversation? And I, I kind of want to ask you the same question. You, you heard the talk at the EOS conference. And is there any part of that talk that you feel your audience, your listeners, really would it would resonate with them or some open end that you you know that I can be helpful or supportive toward yeah. toward you nice nice work buddy <laughs> that's a good question uh, that was great and the answer is uh, is talk a little bit about the journey to find the integrator and uh, how you knew it was the right person sure sure so I'll start by saying it's not easy and you have to put in the work I think a lot of visionaries just feel like it's just going to magically happen and they don't want to put in the work. And you got to put in the work to find it. I was looking for my integrator back in 2016. This was before Visionary Integrator was the full household name as it is today. Back then, people were just learning about EOS and Rocket Fuel and Track. It wasn't now. I mean, if you're a business owner and you haven't heard of EOS, you've been living under a rock. No pun intended. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> so I I put out. I mean, I wrote LinkedIn notes, Facebook notes. I told everyone in my network. I probably had t- 200 people go in the funnel. Um, and it ended up being um, uh, a referral. Actually, in fact, our, our EOS implementer referred me to our, my integrator at the time that was just a contact. And that's how uh, I found my integrator was through a direct referral. Uh, if I were to find an integrator today, which actually for our my second company, which is an IP company connected to the first business, I'm actually in the process of starting to find an integrator right now so I'm on on the hunt for another one now knowing what I know today I would go straight to one of the expert staffing firms that deals specifically with VI relationships and I would say hey this is I want to figure out what this person looks like what this ideal fit is and I'll call it Dan Sullivan's concept who not how Mm -hmm. who can generate this result for me versus how can I figure out how to do this myself and I think finding a resource that knows how to find integrators that has an expertise in finding integrators that cost is going to be far outweighed by the benefit of you getting your time and having that resource help find the integrator so um, that's one way the other thing is looking internally within your team you might have a great integrator on your team but as a visionary, you might not have enabled or empowered them to be that person because you were doing too much. It was a mistake I made. There was one particular mm. team member I had years ago who was just, I've never had better results with any one team member ever. I mean, she and I, when we worked together, she was part of that, that four or five year massive growth spurt we had where we had kind of like a 10x growth. That particular team member, I know had I known what I know today and had some of the wisdoms uh, in my back pocket, they probably would have turned into my integrator. Maybe, maybe not. Mm-hmm. Who knows? And that person could have um, been a huge part of a, a longer term vision. But at that time, I didn't know. I was too involved, creating too much chaos, um, 
trying too many new initiatives uh, and that person didn't end up working out. But I think you should look internally. It could be great to find someone from your team. Uh, if you're going to look externally, when you look externally, find the right resources to help you uh, get that. And then once you meet the person, you've got to have a philosophical alignment. They may think extremely different than you. They will probably think extremely different than you. Um, my, my integrator has an entirely different pattern to come up with a solution than me. If we ever collaborate on building the solution together, we literally want to strangle each other during the meeting. We cannot stand coming to a conclusion together because she has a different way of doing it. But if I said, hey, this is our challenge, go think about it, and I'm going to go think about it, and we both spend our own time and come back with the solution, they're 80% the same. In fact, I'd say 95% the same. But just don't have us follow each other's thought pattern because... She she thinks I come up with it out of thin air and by the seat of my pants and on a napkin, and mm-hmm. and it's not the case at all. I actually, use spreadsheets and come up with thoughts and and draw it out. But it's much more high level where hers will be built by Excel modeling and pivot tables and all that. But we come back at the end going, here's what I think we should be here, and it's nearly the same. So you just got to make sure that philosophically what you want uh, is the same. How you get there will probably differ. And don't be scared of that. In fact, it's – and oh, last thing. You need to have someone that when – when the, at the appropriate time knows how to push back and will push back at the appropriate time. You don't want someone going to push back too much on everything because then there may be too much of a conflict. But at the appropriate time knows, hey, you know what? I appreciate you're going this direction. We – can't go there yet and have the strength of personality to say I need to put the brakes on or we need to push the clutch here and go to the next gear and I need more budget or more resources you can't have someone that's just going to do exactly what you say and go execute it um, that's not an integrator that's an executor and and an integrator is yeah. a, a higher caliber there because they're going to know when to when to be the brakes when to be the clutch and sometimes when to be the gas so mm. Yeah, I think great integrators so, use all three pedals. If I'm using car analogies, yeah, for sure. Well, yeah, you're a car guy, and, and so that's a, <laughs> that could be another podcast in and of itself too. But <laughs> but so there, there, yeah, I think there's a. It's worth calling out the the significant distinction between the integrator search process, which is very driven around alignment, uh, in, in in the in, internal process where you select somebody. Which the presumption is that there's already a great deal of alignment, and. I think you nailed something that needs to be called out, and that is what I – I want you to weigh in on this, but what I teach people is that if you have somebody in multiple seats, the my 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 old assumption about having somebody in a high seat and a low seat was that ego would take over, that the high seat would be their natural gravity. That's not what happens. What happens in real life is if I have somebody in a high seat and a low seat in terms of tactical individual contribution versus leadership and management, the urgency of the individual contribution takes over and there's no bandwidth given to the actual leadership seat that they've got. And so if you were trying to elevate somebody into an integrator function and you still got them writing proposals or doing the books, not likely to be great. Speak to that. (laughs) So philosophically... Uh, I think people gravitate towards their unique abilities and their best strength. Hmm. So my experience has been if I have a person that has the ability to do strategic planning and thinking, but also loves managing and mentoring people, if their natural tendency and their love and their passion is managing and mentoring people, but they're really good at strategic planning too, 
they're going to constantly focus again and again on managing and mentoring people, and the strategic planning gets put on the back burner. And so you're saying the truth speaks for itself. I, I if you've think, got somebody in two seats, it's not just about the urgency; it's about they're actually might be better doing that. Work. Yeah, and some people are so well, I have this I have this strategic ability, but I really, really, really want to. Well, if you if you have that strategic ability, then you should know you're getting sucked into mentoring and management. So why not create a plan where you say I'm not doing any mentoring on management on Wednesday and Friday. It is off the grid. It's only for strategic planning. And I'm going to spend Tuesdays and Thursdays doing mentoring and managing. Wednesdays and Fridays are not available. I'm giving just an example of the how, right? And they're saying, I'm going to make sure the strategic gets done, and I'm putting boundaries around it. If someone has the capability to do both and they're just too burned, then they need to execute a plan like that and say, guess what, guys? Things are getting blocked. I'm focusing on strategic vision. I'm going to go do that. But if they're just constantly say, well, I keep, I keep, the team needs me. I keep needing to be involved here. I'm, I'm, I'm writing proposals. I'm writing contracts. I'm always getting, well, then maybe their best ability is they love to do and execute. And maybe they have a great skill there. And the strategic thinking and planning may not be their their natural best suit. Maybe it's something they just do 25% of the time. And there's a, there's a gap there. I mean, I, I, I tell you, Mark, there's a lot of things I do pretty well that I say, oh yeah, I could do that exceptionally well. But I'm not doing it exceptionally well continuously. And it's because, yeah, yeah. It, yeah there's not, it's not what my, just because I can do it doesn't mean it's my highest and best use. And sometimes coaching and change can change that. And sometimes it's realigning. But to me, I feel like people are going to naturally gravitate toward where where they really want to be. And sometimes they have this aspiration to be one level above. And sometimes it's a skill set gap and it can be bridged. I'm not going to say it can't. It can be. But I think a lot of times it's just that um, that's what they want to do. Well, and I've also observed this phenomenon where visionaries, um, being impatient, they want the future now. And it's, otherwise, it wouldn't be a vision worth pursuing if they thought it could wait. Fair enough, right? <laughs> if you thought it could wait, then why would I, why even bother? And so when we get the sense of the needs in the short term, like I need a leader, I need an integrator, I need whatever, and there's somebody on my admin team who looks like they could be an integrator, I'm, I'm not really open as a visionary to the idea that that might be wrong. I'm, I like, like if I see a short path to getting somebody in the integrator seat, I'm like I see the integrators I, or visionaries I work with tend to to justify it. They say, "I know you're telling me you don't like it, but you're wrong. You, you you're gonna love it when you get good at it here soon. Just give it a little more time." And I think there's some rationalization to if you're taking over a, like a broken integrator seat. The, the culture's a little bit broken, and, yeah. and resources isn't managed right, and it doesn't look attractive to take over something that's kind of broken. You could logically say, well, as we're getting some clarity of the functions and, and the resources get m- mapped out, it'll be a lot more fun to run this organization. But there are frequently situations where a leader says, you know what, I'm not really sure that running running this surveying team is my thing. I think I'm a surveyor. And, and the visionary is like, no, man, you're almost there. And, and he's like, no, I've been three quarters trying to beg you to let me out of this management job. <laughs> you, you nailed it. And the optimist in us, the optimist yeah. in us will always see what someone's best ability is and be like, oh, if you just did this and this, you'd be there. <laughs> and and, and it's, it's, it's like, would you realize they've been working on this and this 
for four years now, and it's the same <laughs> thing. And that's where the, the the eternal optimist and the visionary comes in, and that's where that's why we need integrators. Is because I would do yeah. that with each. That's why I had all these team members longer than I needed to, because I kept seeing what they were capable of, and I kept believing in what they could do, but I wasn't being real about the results of their efforts. Now, if someone is making the results, and I'm like, man, every quarter you've gotten better and better, and you are, hey, maybe they're. They're, they're capable of it. They just need, there's just a gap in skills. And then you need to be patient. But uh, I think that's the exception, not the norm. Well, I think, I think visionaries, for me in particular, and I see this in other people, we're just bad at sizing that. We know there's a delta. Mm. We know you can, you, can, you can figure out that there's a way to, to evolve, coach, buy your way out of the problem with time. But we do a terrible job assessing how long that's going to take and at what cost. And the integrator yeah. is going to be a lot more pragmatic. It's like, we don't have six quarters to get this person to leave. We've got six weeks. <sighs> so, uh, and so, yeah. Yeah, you're spot on, man. It's painful. It's painful. And we feel it as a human. You know, you, you, like you mentioned, the person that didn't want to let go of team members that that, yeah. that weren't performing. I mean, you just you feel it because you care, and I think it's that care that makes the business successful. But it's also that care that sometimes we have to put guardrails around in order to grow. Because yeah, care is important; sure. you need it. But without guardrails, care can bankrupt a business. Absolutely. Yeah, they go together. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can't you can't serve the cause if you're failing. Yeah. You've got to know the difference between success and failure. Yeah. Otherwise, the whole ship sinks. Right? <laughs> Stephen Covey, no margin, no mission. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It, it, yeah. yeah. Well, man, incredible <laughs> time together. It's I loved fun. this. You shared so much. Anything you want to add to this? Uh, from this particular content? Uh, yeah. No, We're, no. Right. I, think, I think you've... Um, from what I'm gathering with your audiences, it sounds like there's some visionaries that might need to bring in that integrator or let go a little more, just given the framework of what we've talked about. And one thing I would tell them is that if you're looking for confidence before you hire an integrator, you're probably not going to get it. And I'll tell you why. Um, When we make a leap of faith... A lot of people see an entrepreneur like, ah, oh, so confident. They just leaped into their business and took this huge risk. It actually wasn't confidence that had us take the leap of faith to start our business. It was courage. We had the courage to take a leap of faith. It's like, kind of like jumping off a, a cliff. The first time you jump, you may have the courage <laughs> to do it, but you don't have the confidence. Like You're terrified, right? But you yeah. jump. You have that courage to take that leap of faith. And then you hit the water and you're like, I'm good. Now you're confident. I just did it. I'm going to do it again and again and again. When you're hiring somebody and you're letting go, you have to have enough courage to say, you know what? I've seen how this has worked for other firms. I believe in this person. All the check boxes are there. I've got to have the courage to take a leap of faith and bringing somebody into my domain to take the reins on some things. It takes courage. Once the person's on board and you see the results and you feel like you're being heard and your vision is being implemented the right way, then you get the confidence. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs want that confidence first and that's what gets them to not pull the trigger. And, And I can't tell you enough that the same way you started your business, it's courage. If you have the courage to take that risk and hire that person, it, you're probably going to get a great outcome, and heck, 
If it's not the right person, you're probably going to know in 90 days and cut it off. And it's not even their full salary. It's 90 days of their salary, right. tax deductible. Yeah. It's a risk worth taking. <laughs> um, you know, uh, if you know you need it, you know you need it, and 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 follow that courage path uh, to take that leap. That'd be my last Man. my last comment. Awesome. I mean, I was going to ask you what your passionate plea for entrepreneurship is right now, or entrepreneurs is right yeah. now. I kind of think that's it. Is that fair? Uh, I, I think from a to this topic for sure, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, I do have a passionate then. plea in general, but uh, mm-hmm. uh, well, hit me with it. Do it. Well, What's your passionate plea? So, so I've had I've had almost two decades of spending time with business owners, and what breaks my heart is how business owners that build successful companies but never have a pathway to capture that success the right way personally and bring all the pieces together. And I watch businesses that grow to 50 million, 100 million of value, they pass it on to the next gen. 80% of the time it fails. They don't monetize the right way. They don't have perspective over how to capture that wealth and bring together their financial tax, leave all the pieces. And my passionate plea, so to speak, is all of you business owners that have built successful companies, that you have the cash flows that you once dreamt of, and you're building that thing, have a strategy. Find that who. You talk about who versus high. Found that who that can help bring all those pieces together and get you to capture your life's work so that A, you can live the life experience that you want, whether that's lifestyle or travel or that life impact that you want, whether that's family or social or charitable, like you've wealth is not the end, it's a means. And most business owners never figure out what that end is. And uh, my passionate plea is take that time to be intentional and and have a plan for all that you've built and and bring those pieces together. You know, I, I've, I've seen it for years. I've done it for years. I've seen the outcome of doing it versus not doing it. And whether it's, whether it's on your own or with an outside resource or with us, like find that way to capture what you've built. That is my, my passionate plea in your words. No, I, I love it and I agree and I've struggled with it. I think visionaries uh, defer to the future. There's always more time. There's always a bigger opportunity. Uh, they'll sacrifice for the greater good, investing in the future and on and on and on and on. Yeah, I love that and, I've, and, I, and I, I encourage people and I've been mentored on that and so I, I love it. Look, man, this is an incredible conversation. If somebody wants to keep in, keep in touch with you, keep track, continue the conversation sure. in some capacity, how do they find you out on the, in that the world? Just easiest way to connect with me is hop on LinkedIn, Ali Nasser. Usually there's a lot of us in the world. Just put in Ali Nasser, Houston. And obviously Mark and I will be connected. But um, drop me a, a connection on LinkedIn and put in the message Mark Leary's podcast, um, so that I know, uh, so that we've got a, we've got a, we know who you are, and we can, uh, we can accept you and, and have you uh, connect. And anything that I can be a resource to or help on, I've got CEO job descriptions, integrator job descriptions, how I time my, anything that could be helpful in this VI search or a resource. Just drop it in the message, but make sure you put Mark Mark podcast in the LinkedIn connection, and that is the best way to. To connect with me, and from there you can see anything we've got going on. But that's the best hub. Awesome, man! So we are out of time. This was pure gold. This was a blast. The time flew by, and uh, I'm grateful for the opportunity. <laughs> and we will have future conversations about all kinds of stuff. But uh, everybody who's listening to this, please. 
don't forget to subscribe and share it. If you know somebody who could use this information, it's no good to them if they don't get a chance to listen to it. So get it in their hands, forward it to them, uh, and also give us the feedback. If this was good, we want to know about it. And if this was not what you were expecting, we want to know that too. All the good and bad is so grateful. I'm so grateful to have that. That's it for our time. Um, We'll see you next time on You're Doing It Wrong with me, Mark Henderson-Leary. This is You're Doing It Wrong with Mark Henderson-Leary. For more episodes and to subscribe, go to leary.cc.